What is the New Age movement? What are things like uh, Zen Buddhism, uh, meditation, numerology, tarot cards, uh, seances? Uh, What about meditation? What about astrology? These things and so much more. Today we're going to be talking to Marsha Montenegro. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Introduction, I asked the question, what is the New Age movement? Oh man, that I mean, that is such a broad question. And there are so many different spins on the New Age. There is no official doctrine. There is no official head or leader. It's it's really it's just a, a hodgepodge, a mixed bag of all types of beliefs, a blending of of beliefs that you can find from Buddhism, Hinduism, Gnosticism, uh, elements of the occult, and so much more mixed together. Well, today we're going to have an expert, Marcia Montenegro, for eight years was a professional astrologer. She actually went to school for two years and then had to pass a seven-hour exam uh, with the Atlanta Board of Astrology to become a licensed astrologer. But that's not all. Marsha has been involved in the New Age movement for years. Uh, she did come out, obviously. She now has a ministry, uh, Christian Answers for the New Age. Uh, in fact, her website, ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org, a wealth of information, a great website, all kinds of good stuff there, uh, amazing articles, tons of information. Uh, but uh, Marsha has uh, been involved with Various New Age occult and Eastern beliefs and practices, including inner light consciousness, Tibetan Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, Hindu teachings and meditation, psychic development classes. Uh, During those years, she also participated in past life regression, numerology, tarot cards, spirit contact, seances, astral travel. Uh, She received a spirit guide or Ascended Master, through guided visualization. So today, yeah, we're going to be talking to Marsha Montenegro. Marsha, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Michael. I'm really, um, really excited about, you know, what we're going to discuss. Yeah, and the, the pleasure is all mine. I know my listeners are going to love this. So friends, today we're going to be talking about the New Age Movement, and um, there is so much that we could talk about. In fact, we could probably do two or three episodes easily on this subject. And maybe I can con uh, Marcia into coming back on, at another time to hit a few more of these topics. But uh, we're going to talk about the New Age movement. Um, many of you know that I have a history in the New Age movement, uh, not nearly as much as experience as Marsha has. She really knows the New Age movement inside and out. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pleased to welcome Marsha on the show so we can talk about the New Age movement. So just starting off here, uh, Marsha, explain what the New Age movement is and also how you got involved with it. 
Okay, sure. Um, the New Age movement is actually uh, very difficult to really define, and I have used different ways of describing it over the years. <laughs> I keep refining my definition. But I would say that it is a blend of beliefs that draw from Eastern belief systems, um, Taoism, Hinduism, and Buddhism, and along with that, some Gnostic beliefs and also um, a movement called the New Thought Movement. So it draws mainly from those, but what the New Age does that makes it so successful is that it is very adaptable and fluid, and it takes terms from different belief systems, including Christianity. And it will use those terms that are familiar to people so that when they hear things, it will sound familiar and not, you know, alien. And uh, it will be appealing. But the thing is, is that in the New Age, the meaning of those terms is not what most people think it is. So that's one of the tricky parts about the New Age, which makes it very deceptive. And, and uh, there are aspects of the New Age that... Um, will use, you know, the term refer to Jesus and refer to God quite often. And you also find in the New Age, you find a spectrum. So you have people who are into one area of the New Age, like maybe Eastern religions, and then you have people who are into another area of, you know, affirmations and thinking positive and using uh, techniques that they believe will help them succeed. And those two areas, um, are not really that much alike, but they're both part of the New Age. So that's another reason a lot of people have a hard time grasping the New Age is because it's this very wide spectrum, and it and it includes a lot of things that seemingly don't go together. <laughs> so that, that right now is the best way I can describe it. And um, most people get into it gradually. Uh, I was interested... Uh, actually, in high school, I was interested in astrology, and I was interested in other religions, and in college, I got interested in Eastern religions, um, particular Hinduism, when I did a, uh, I did a special project on Gandhi, and that got me interested in that, and I was also interested in what we call the paranormal, uh, things like communicating with the dead, and that interest was especially strong after I got out of college, and I did a lot of reading on that. Uh, so all of these things kind of went on these parallel tracks in my life where I started exploring them and reading books and talking to people who had some of these beliefs in these areas, um, a few times going to, you know, a psychic and an astrologer. And my interest just just got stronger I also had some experiences that helped uh, validate these things to me. So the experiences drove me further towards these beliefs. And then I decided to get actively involved. And so I took different kinds of classes. And the classes uh, were, you know, had these teachings that were essentially what are called New Age, but nobody doing these classes use the term New Age. And people who are who are into these New Age areas 
almost never use that term new age, and they might even deny that it's new age. You know, they might even say, no, this is not new age. <laughs> so the term itself I'm using is a term of convenience, but people who are actually involved in it usually don't use it. And so all of these different teachings kind of uh, just started making me more and more um, driven to learn about things. And I also started adopting some of the beliefs, like reincarnation. So I started believing that when you die, you go somewhere and then you come back and you're a different person and maybe in another country and you keep going and coming back. And, of course, this originally comes from Hinduism. And I developed a belief in that, a very strong belief. And then after these classes, and including um, a class on Tibetan Buddhism, I got very interested in learning something. So I had all of this stuff I had been reading and hearing, and I had this, this worldview developing that was very Eastern and, and New Age. But I wanted something practical. I wanted to be able to do something practical with all of this knowledge. And so I decided that I would take astrology classes. And so I did. And then I ended up being, um, after taking a seven-hour exam in Atlanta, Georgia, I ended up becoming a professional licensed astrologer. (laughs) And I was practicing as an astrologer, you know, getting clients, and they would give me their birth data, and I would do their birth chart. And you look at the position of the planets and where they are in the person's chart, and you do an interpretation. And that's what astrology is, which I want to say is different from astronomy because I find sometimes that people aren't clear on the distinction. Astronomy is a scientific study of heavenly bodies and and outer space. So you're, you're studying them from a scientific viewpoint. Whereas astrology believes in giving a meaning to the planets and to the sun and the moon as it affects you. So that's the difference. Even though they use, to a certain degree, the same data, then astrology is completely... Right. <laughs> also so much I, got, I just got very involved in it, and, you know, it was just over a period of several years. Right, yeah. And, um, boy, I can relate to that. Uh, I've had very, uh, yeah, several very uh, supernatural experiences messing around with this when I was a young guy. And, boy, you know, Satan will draw you in any way that he can uh, and, and entice you. And that you will experience certain certain levels of success doing these things as you're being drawn further and further away from the Lord. So, okay, so you got involved, and um, did you go even even deeper than what you've told me so far, or it, was there well, somewhere in there where yeah, you started putting I, away? I was, yeah, I was giving sort of a summary there, but um, yeah, I actually was introduced um, in a guided meditation. I was introduced to what they call the spiritual master, which is, um, you know, a disembodied spirit uh, that you know, we believed was going to be this, like this teacher. Right. And we were told that this teacher would be with us and 
would, would contact us and we would be able to contact this teacher. So during this guided meditation where we, we each were introduced to this, this spiritual master, you know, I did see somebody and um, I felt his presence and after that point I felt his presence you know, pretty much all the time. I was very aware of him. I didn't really communicate with him like some people do. Um, and what I'm talking about here is called usually called a spirit guide. Yeah. And um, really everybody who gets involved, uh, when they go past a certain point of involvement with the New Age or with the occult, which is very much related to the New Age, although I make a distinction between them, uh, anyone who gets involved in those areas ends up with a spirit guide, actually more than one spirit guide. And most people are very aware of it, especially people who are professionals, people who are, you know, mediums, um, who, uh, who do astrology, who are psychics and they have clients. You know, they're very aware of those spirit guides. And, of course, they see them as benevolent. And these spirit guides are not imaginary. These are actually... Um, fallen angels, but uh, to people who are involved in these areas, they believe they're benevolent. So um, that was an area that, of course, was, was for me uh, very powerful in that it aligned me with something uh, actually evil uh, that I was getting guidance from and information from. And I did my chart. And so uh, at the time, of course, not seeing it as a bad thing, but as a good thing, you know, I felt also that this God was a protector. And um, this, of course, your, your thinking becomes very hostile to anything to do with Christianity. You know, you, you start, you become more and more hostile, and you become hardened, and you you tend to uh, see Christianity as this very uh, narrow, you know, kind of <laughs> very unenlightened, <laughs> unenlightened religion where people are just kind of stuck in this in this old-fashioned thinking or something. So that, and that was, you know... That was my view. Although I had a Bible and I and I would quote from it, but I was first putting different meanings into it because that's what the New Age does. A lot of very popular New Agers will refer to the Bible. Um, Marianne Williamson is one of them. Eckhart Tolle, who uh, wrote A New Earth. He wrote The Power of Now, which was his first book. It became a bestseller, and he wrote A New Earth, which Oprah promoted, and that became a huge bestseller. Oh, yeah. Um, he quotes, I've read The New Earth, and has articles, I have two articles on it on my website, and I mean, he quotes the Bible quite quite often. Yeah. And, of course, he's giving, you know, when, he, when he's interpreting it, it's completely taken out of context, <laughs> and he puts a, a very New Age kind of meaning into it. But this is very common in the New Age. So anyway, my you know my whole worldview was this kind of worldview where I felt there were you know the real meaning of everything is is hidden. It's not obvious. It's not apparent. 
and you have to know things in order to uncover the meaning, you know, and that's really essentially kind of a new age occult worldview. So everything's always, you know, things are not the way they seem. Reality that you think is the real world and this is really reality is not really reality. And, you know, things have meaning, um, you know, numbers have meaning, the planets have meaning. So you're just in this world where you're always looking for the meaning behind things. And that's really how you start thinking. Tell me how exactly you came out of the New Age movement. Well, yeah, that's another story. <laughs> um, I was uh, not looking for a way out. I was, you know, fairly happy doing my astrology, and I had um, been president of the Astrological Society, and I was very active uh, in it and was teaching astrology classes. And so I had no desire to get out of it or anything. You know, I, I saw myself as doing that the rest of my life. I didn't have all my questions answered, but that didn't make me want to give up my belief system. So uh, I just was continuing on that path, and I uh, ended up uh, in this part-time job in an office uh, because my marriage ended, and I had a, a young child, support and one of my astrology clients actually offered me the job because he wanted me to give him advice on the employees in the office that he was giving me their birthdays and I in turn would give him insights what insights I could get from their birthdays because I didn't have their birth time course. so um, I was somewhat limited but <laughs> I did my best um and, um, of course, nobody else knew that's why I was there. You know, he gave me this title that was kind of it was very generic. No one could tell from the title what I was doing. And no one asked me, which was a good thing, I guess. And uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I, so I was in this office. And um, I was very active, of course, in astrology, and I still had my clients. This was just a part-time job. And uh, I started getting this very strange um, compulsion to go to a church. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really pay attention to it because I just ignored it and it continued. And, I mean, it went on for a few months. It started in the spring and it went on into the summer. And then finally, in early September, I went to a church because I had this compulsion when go away to go to a church. And I didn't want to go to a church. But I decided to go, and I went, and when I was standing up at the beginning of the service, and they were playing, um, they had music playing, and they had a procession from the back of the church, and it was led by a young boy carrying a cross, and, and as he passed me, I had this incredible experience of this love flowing down on me from above, and I knew it was from a personal God telling me he loved me. And it was just, I can't even describe how overwhelming it was. It was very real. I knew it wasn't. It wasn't from the music and it wasn't from the people or anything. You know, it was very, very much beyond that. And it was very powerful. And I, I just started silently crying. 
and I ended up staying for the whole service because actually I originally was going to leave early. <laughs> and um, so then I I didn't know what any of this meant. So I just, you know, I went home, I wrote about it in my journal, and I decided I'd go back the next Sunday, um, and I did, and I continued going there. Um, but I was very comfortable there because the church was very um, open-minded, would probably be a good, a kind term. <laughs> they were very, very open-minded, and, um, you know, there were nice people there. And uh, the people that found out I was an astrologer didn't seem bothered by it. So I was going to the services, and I was even into a, into a class there. And in, within a very short time period, um, I started getting this impression that God didn't like astrology. And soon after that, I had an impression that he didn't want me to keep doing astrology. But these were just like these impressions. I, I don't know how to, to describe them. That's the best word. Um, I didn't, I wasn't studying the Bible or anything. I, I didn't, no one told me this. And um, but it, and it was so clear to me. It was just so clear that God wanted me to give astrology up, and I actually gave it up. Oh, praise God! I yeah, that's... To, I had gone to the church in early September, and I gave astrology up at the end of November, right before Thanksgiving. And um, I I didn't even know why. I you know all I knew is that God didn't want me to do it. And so I had a very hard time explaining to my clients when they called me and they wanted me, you know, to do a chart. I I just was like, well, no, I'm not doing it anymore, you know, and I couldn't really explain very well. And um, I had to start, I started initially referring them to other astrologers that I knew. And so then I thought, well, if I'm not doing astrology anymore, I guess I should read the Bible. You know, and so I started reading Matthew, and I was reading a little bit every night, and I didn't, I, I, I really did not understand what I was reading. I mean, I understood it in a sort of, you know, the regular, you know, I understood what I was reading, but I didn't understand, understand any, the import of it, you know, or what it was really talking about. And so I was just reading little bits every night, and I got to a passage in chapter 8, and as I was reading that and rereading it, that's when God just, just like, opened my eyes, and I saw who Christ really was for the first time, and I I realized I had been on this spiritual path that was completely going away from God and completely going in the wrong direction. And I just turned my life over to, to Christ. I mean that was that was it. I and I knew I was a new person. This was a few days before Christmas. Um, so it happened about it was about a month after I gave astrology up that this happened. Huh. Uh, and so I found out later, just to skip over a lot of things here, I found out a few months later that this young man in at the workplace uh, had been praying for me with a group at his church. <laughs> they had been praying for me because, you know, he knew I was an astrologer. He didn't know that's why I was there at that job. But, you know, I, I eventually told people I was an astrologer, but I never connected it to the work there. Um, and so he he and this group 
this young adult group at his church were praying for me that whole year. Oh. So, yeah, so that's that. That's that's, and sort of a nutshell how <laughs> how uh, God God got me out. Oh, I love it. it. You know, just people praying and and friends. That is so powerful. Just going to the Lord and praying for somebody. Sometimes you just don't know what to say. You you can walk the Christian walk. You can have the right words. But sometimes you just don't know what to do. But take it to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. See what you know. The Holy Spirit just started going after you and and putting his fingers on yeah. things in your life that he didn't like. I love it. Oh, praise yeah. God. That's cool. That's awesome. So, how did you get involved with this ministry? How did this all come together? Yeah, I was finally after finding um, a, a good church, which took a while. There was a move involved uh, from Atlanta um, up to the Washington, D.C. area where my parents were living. And I started looking for churches. It took me a while, uh, actually a year and a year. And I didn't find a good church until a year and a half <laughs> after I became a Christian. Um, so it's kind of wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not learning very much, but um, I just started, you know, I had a real passion to share uh, the truth about the New Age with people because I could see it beginning to get more mainstream in society, and I felt like Christians did not see it and did not really understand what the New Age was, or they had distorted ideas of it, and so I really, you know, but I didn't have a platform and I wasn't grounded in scripture or anything. So I, I got involved in some other some other things at church and was trying to learn the Bible, et cetera. And then gradually uh people started asking me to share my story. Uh and uh a church up in Connecticut actually uh paid my train ticket to go up there on the train and speak at their church and answer questions about the new age and at my church my pastor let me speak one Sunday evening on the New Age. And so I had, and then I started speaking to youth groups. Uh, my youth pastor had me speak to the youth group, and then he introduced me to some other youth pastors in the area, and several of them invited me to speak to their youth group. And so I started with these, you know, talks kind of here and there. And I didn't really plan on it being more than that. I was working at a regular nine-to-five job and supporting myself and my son and you know a few a few years went by like that and, I mean not very many and and the Lord started um, through different people you know kind of pointing me in the direction of, of going full-time people would ask me you know when are you going full-time and <laughs> things like that and I was like well I don't have any plans for that you know <laughs> why are you asking me that and um, some encouragement from my missions pastor made me think about it further. And really, over a year, I really was, it was really on my mind a lot. And just through different things, the Lord made it clear to me that, that he was calling me to, to do this full time. And so I ended up um, interviewing with a mission board, Fellowship International Mission, which is in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, they interviewed me and then agreed to to let me partner with them as a missionary, which means that they become a clearinghouse for people who want to support me in full-time ministry. 
Um, but I was still working. So, um, you know, I had to get to a point where I was getting enough support to um, to quit my job. But things happened very strangely. The mission board decided to start sending me the funds that were coming in while I was still working, uh, which they had never done before. And a couple of months after they did that, me and two other people at the place where we were working were laid off. We weren't, we weren't fired. It wasn't because we were bad employees, but the the man was sort of reorganizing his, his business, and he was trying to save money. So he got rid of, I think, the employees that he was paying more than the other people. And so... Um, so then I was sort of thrust out into the into the world here, and uh, it took several months, but I got enough support to go full time. And later I had some more churches and people start supporting me. So, I mean, it was really it was really kind of a journey. Um, it was quite a journey, and it was very challenging to um, my faith because it's really it's totally having faith in God that he'll provide. I mean, you have you have to have that faith or you can't do it. So it I mean it was it was scary actually at first. But I had a lot of encouragement and prayer from people and I got prayer. I started gathering prayer partners to pray for me and that was of course very helpful. And I ended up going full time in nineteen ninety eight. And so I've been doing full time ministry since then. Oh, wow. And this is probably not the best time, but we just talked about it. And so, friends, you know, as we continue on here today, if you feel led to uh, give to uh, Marsha's ministry, Christian Answers for a New Age, uh, on her her website, christiananswersforthenewage.org, there is a link on on her, uh, well, up by the title, and it's about Cana. You click on that, and then under her picture is uh, a link to donate. So uh, I would urge you, you know, if you can, to help her out as what she's doing is just, it is really a tremendous help for Christianity. So anyway, sorry about that commercial. I just I thought it was a good idea just to jump in there and mention that. Um, so, okay, so let's talk about some of the, the various beliefs that um, you find from within the New Age and you know, like you were saying, there is no set, real set doctrines or beliefs that are part of the New Age. It's just such a, a loose, uh, mixed bag of various beliefs. But, um, well, okay, let's talk about meditation. Yeah, Buddha, Buddhists and Hindus that practice meditation for all kinds of different reasons. You know, Buddhists, they believe that uh, through meditating, they can get enlightened and, and loose their selfish lose their selfish desires and somehow escape the wheel of samsara. Uh, Hindus have various reasons. Why do you generally meditate in the new age movement? And do you see this type of stuff happening within the church? Yes. Meditation is very, very big in um, Hinduism and Buddhism and in the new age. It's, It's sort of a central practice really. And most people do some form of meditation. And uh, the idea is that this is one way that you you get more spiritual, that you not you, you kind of grow spiritually, and supposedly you you become more open to these 
higher spiritual truth, and you become more aware of your true nature. Now, in the New Age, even though there's a lot of big, varied beliefs, there are some a few core beliefs that you tend to find for most people in the New Age. One of them is that we all have a divine nature. We're part of God. We came from God. And so we have this divine nature, but we aren't aware of it. And meditation in the New Age is supposed to help you be aware of that. And so in becoming aware of that, that accelerates your spiritual growth so that you become more enlightened and you have a better spiritual understanding of of reality. So that's one reason meditation is so important. Um, A lot of people in the New Age also believe that um, if when you meditate a lot, that it raises your vibrations. Because in the New Age, there's this concept that everything is energy. We're all energy. We're all kind of these walking uh, forms of vibrating pulses. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the body is very dense, and so it has a very low vibration. Um, and all material things have a very low vibration but the spirit has a higher vibration. And so through meditation, you can help raise your vibration. And this is, this is just understood to be a spiritual thing. You know, raising your vibration, it just goes without saying in the New Age, that's a good thing because it's going to make you more spiritual. It's not always defined. I mean, some people get really get into the uh, esoteric teachings on it. And in fact, um, there was a book that was an absolutely huge bestseller. I think it was on the New York Times bestseller list for two years. It came out like around 1999. It's called The Celestine Prophecy. Yes. Redfield. And in and I have an article on, on my website, um, by the way, on it under, if you go to the articles page and look under book evaluations, I, that's where I have articles on a number of books. And I have an article on this book. And basically, the message of that book, one of the messages, is that you, if you can raise your vibration enough, you actually can be free of your body. Your body will sort of dissolve. And in the book, he, um, it's written as a story, but he, it's all New Age messages, really. It's, the story is just a platform to give New Age teachings. And so in the book, he actually has because Jesus walked on the water because he had raised his vibration so high that his body was light enough for him to walk on the water. And then at the end of the book, he talks about Jesus ascending to heaven, or what people think Jesus ascended to heaven. And he says, well, that's not really what happened. What happened is Jesus had raised his vibration so high that his body just kind of dissolved. And he went into like this next spiritual dimension uh, that we can't see because we're still trapped in our bodies. Now, this view is a very, very much of um, a Gnostic view. And right. the Gnostics, um, they started off in the first century when the church was just getting established, and they actually, it was a mixture of Gnosticism and some other views, but it was actually um, invading the, the early church. And there's parts of the Bible that address some of these early, it doesn't use the word Gnostic, because that word didn't exist then, but it addresses some of the false teachings, First um, John and Colossians and a few other places address this. And because uh, one of their uh, beliefs was that we're actually 
originally we were spirit, these spirit beings with no bodies and through various events got trapped in bodies on earth and forgot that we were just spirits. And we think that we actually have, you know, this material body as part of who we are. And so you have to have these teachings and understanding so that you can uh, get liberated from your body. So this idea of being liberated from your body, you can see that in um, some of the teachings of the New Age, like this one in the Celestine Prophecy, and that's, that's pretty common to see. Um, I've also seen online, just in the last, I mean, not that long ago, just fairly recently, there are these different groups that teach um, you can live on air and sun, and you can actually get to the point, you know, I, I believe they meditate and you gradually give up food and you adapt your body to just living on the sun and the air. And so you supposedly you can live without food. There's some man, I think, in India, or he's from India, who there's some YouTube things, uh, YouTube videos, and, um, and for a while, he was promoted very highly by a few people, and I think he went around and lectured, and supposedly he never ate. He had stopped eating years ago. And he, was, he would meditate, and he would get his, you know, whatever he needed to live from the air and from meditation. And of course, later he was exposed as a fraud. Someone <laughs> followed him, and, and he went and he was going into a restaurant. <laughs> he didn't think anybody was looking <laughs> So, of course, I mean, because it's impossible for anybody to do that. Um, I mean, you can go without food for a limited period of time, but you can't do it for months and months, much less years. And um, But there are these people who really believe it, and I actually knew some about some of these teachings when I was in the New Age. Um, and I read, I've read in the light maybe the last eight, nine years, at least two or three people have died who were involved in these groups where they were trying, you know, not to eat. And they, well, they just died. They were well, yeah. malnourished. Um, so this whole idea, so this idea of frequency and vibrations and energy, um, those are also red flag words. When you see, um, especially these websites on, on quote-unquote natural healing, and there's really no such thing as natural healing, by the way. <laughs> there's no such thing. This word natural is used in the New Age a lot. Mm-hmm. And, course, it's, it's supposedly seen as this pure kind of thing, but there's really no such thing as natural. I mean, everything is made of chemicals. You know, even plants have chemicals, and they have a chemical reaction in your body. And so, um, you know, people have this idea of natural as a sort of pure, unsullied product. And the New Agers think that because they think that everything's permeated with divine energy. So they think nature has a sort of unsullied divine nature, but of course as as Christians, Christians know nature has fallen and has been corrupted through, um, you know, man's sin, and so nature has, you know, is not pure and unsullied, there's dangers in nature, so anyway, a lot of these natural healing websites will use words like frequency and um, vibrations and energy, Mm -hmm. and so when you see that, you've got to really well, really, you should just avoid it altogether. I mean, I wouldn't take any advice from websites using those words because there's usually New Age beliefs behind them. So I forgot what, what question I was answering. But <laughs> <laughs> I really, oh, we were talking about meditation. Oh, yeah, yeah let me was, get back to that. I'm sorry. No, so that's, that's one of the views of, 
that's one of the ideas of meditation, but um, it's also this idea that you go within and you get answers from within because they believe if you have a divine nature, then you have this inner divine wisdom, right? So when you meditate and you're really quiet and still, um, you can this divine wisdom, you know, may may bubble up, you know, and you may you may get some insights. Um, so that's one reason the meditation is done. And it's not meditating in the sense of biblical meditation, which is, you know, pondering and reflecting on God's word. That's biblical meditation. This is where you get into um, an altered state, usually through breathing a certain way. It can also be through repeating a certain phrase in your mind. Um, it also can be by gazing at something for a long time. So these are different ways to of self-induced hypnosis, and you kind of in this white altered state, white trance state, and your mind's very open, it's very suggestible. And so this kind of meditation is is not only not biblical, but it's but it's dangerous. And it, and, and over time it alters your worldview of reality and it and it takes your mind away from from truth and it eventually makes you resistant to truth. So, um, so, but one of the ways that's that's come in the church is is through the um, well. There's really two avenues now. One is through this uh, what, for want of a better term, you know, you can call contemplative spirituality, where there's this idea they've kind of changed the meaning of prayer, and instead of prayer as we see in the Bible, which is where you're voicing or you know whether silently you're actually saying it out loud but you're petitioning the Lord, and you're talking to the Lord. You're thanking Him. You're praising Him. You're bringing a problem or problems before Him. You're asking for wisdom, and et cetera. So that's what we see in the Bible. That's what we see when Jesus prays, you know, His different prayers. He's talking um, to God the Father. He's uh, making requests. He's thanking Him, et cetera. We have the model for prayer very clearly in the Bible. It's never where you sit still and try to listen to something within you. Um, and yet this, this contemplative stuff has you, has you do uh, Eastern methods where you have to sit very still. Sometimes they'll tell you, you know, your back is, needs to be straight. You have to breathe very slowly, get your breathing very even and very slow. Ideally, you close your eyes. Um, and then, then depending on the method that's being taught, you may repeat a phrase from the Bible, or um, you just sit there and supposedly try to listen to what God wants to tell you. Well, this is very dangerous. So first of all, there's no biblical basis for this at all. There's absolutely zero biblical basis. And um, secondly, if you start doing this, you actually may feel that you're doing something spiritual and you may uh, feel God's talking to you and you'll begin to think this is the way to find out what God, you know, what God's will is. And, and so two things happen from this. One is you start doing this more than regular prayer or more than reading your Bible. So you neglect prayer, regular prayer and you neglect the Bible and uh, number two, you sort of get addicted to it because it's this experience. 
And if you're feeling very spiritual or it makes you, and it can make you feel peaceful, but, you know, that doesn't mean it's, it's uh, valid. So you might feel very peaceful doing it, but that doesn't mean it's right. And, but, and it's going to make you want to keep doing it because you're going to think, oh, you know, I, I want to really find that peace again. I want to feel that spiritual feeling again. So I'm going to do this meditation. And so you kind of get hooked on it. Um, and that, that's just two big dangers of it. But that's one avenue is this contemplative thing. And there are lots of different forms of it. So the main thing is, you know, it's follow the biblical model for prayer and not this other form. And the other way, it's just now actually a recent thing. It's not... It's somewhat recent in the culture by several years, especially the last two years, I would say. And just gradually, I I don't think it's like in the church in the sense that a lot of churches are doing this, but a lot of Christians are thinking that it's okay. It's something called mindfulness. I actually have four articles on mindfulness on my website. So for people who really want to know more, um, they can read those articles, but mindfulness based on Buddhist meditation, and I was very involved with Zen Buddhism for several years uh, when I was in the New Age, and so I know, I and I did mindfulness, so I know what it is, and supposedly it's where you just get your mind in this non-thinking state. You, you let your thoughts go by, and you don't, you don't, um, you know, you don't get caught up in them, you let them go by. And eventually, if you do that, you sort of get into this non-thinking state. And there again, you're very open. And you may feel very peaceful, too. You may feel very peaceful doing this. So the danger of this is that, first of all, it opens your mind up with no filters. And it, it also gets you accustomed to uh, seeing your thoughts as something distant from who you are, and that's the whole idea of it, because in Buddhism, your thoughts are not really you, and you're not supposed to see your thoughts as anything connected to your true nature, because your true nature in Buddhism is is the formless Buddha nature, and you don't even have a self in Buddhism. So, and eventually that's what you're supposed to realize with this meditation. It starts off with your thoughts. First, you don't see your thoughts as you, and eventually then you don't see yourself as, as really you. So that's just kind of a, a, a nutshell summary of, of, of Buddhist <laughs> meditation. There's, of course, it's a lot more complex than that, but but that's kind of the idea of it. So it's not a good thing to do. And there's other ways to, you know, if you're anxious and you need to do something um, to, to calm yourself down, there are other things you can do. You don't have to do mindfulness. You know, of course, there's the normal things to do, like take a walk, you know, take a bubble bath, <laughs> listen to some nice music, <laughs> you know, read a read a good book that's like escape or watch a movie, an escapism movie, um, or, um, you know, talk to a friend. And, of course, reading God's Word. If you're a Christian, you know, go to God's Word and then pray and ask for help. And I'm not talking about people with serious, you know, like, like clinical depression or serious mental issues, I'm not. T- I you do need professional help for that. So I'm sure. not. I'm just talking about people with normal, you know, our normal day-to-day anxiety problems. Right. So you don't need you don't need to do mindfulness. So 
that's a that's an overview of the meditation issue. <laughs> now, have you noticed uh, whether through personal experience or watching other people when they meditate and you empty your mind and you uh, reach these altered states of consciousness, have you uh, experienced or seen people experience where because their mind is open and they are in these altered states that um, demonic influences will come in? Well, I haven't seen it um, per se, but I, I uh, definitely think it happens. But I don't think it's the way a lot of people think it is. It's not like they suddenly, you know, start acting crazy or, <laughs> um, you know, look possessed or something. <laughs> I think it's a, it, I think it's much more insidious and subtle than that. I think what happens is their worldview shifts. And, and they become more hardened to the truth. Um, whether, um, of course, I don't believe Christians can, can be possessed. So Christians are doing this. I don't think they get possessed, but I think right. they take themselves away from the influence of, of God's word. And um, uh, non-Christians, um, they're more vulnerable. Um, I, I know that it's very possible, and it has happened, that people in certain meditation states will encounter their spirit guides. You know, if they haven't had a spirit guide, this is often how they will encounter one. And, of course, as I said earlier, it was during a guided meditation that I was introduced to my spirit guide. And I do know a few stories of people who were in some kind of meditation or hypnotic state, and that's where they encountered. First, they didn't think of it as an evil thing, you know. And they think it's like somebody there who's like this wise teacher or something to help them. So, yes, so in that case, you can encounter something um, demonic. Mm, okay. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's basically where I was going with that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's exactly from my experience where through meditation, yeah, and uh, also attempting things like astral travel and, uh, these types of things, that's where I would have these really bizarre encounters. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't like anything was entering in. And next thing you know, I was running the streets with, you know, a knife in my hand or something. But <laughs> but I started having these shifts in thinking and started uh, listening to and heeding the advice and teachings of these, these other teachers. Uh, you know, right, right. Sometimes right, referred to as... I'm sorry. Yeah, it yeah. opens you up to other. It opens you up to other teachings that are along the same same line of thinking or related to it, and you just get drawn in drawn in more deeply. Huh. Well, okay. So, I guess somewhat in the same realm. What about walking a labyrinth? Yes, the labyrinth is is another thing that's really um, started. At beginning to, um, well, it didn't start to get popular in 2000, but it was sort of revived uh, around 2000 uh, by this woman at Grace Episcopal in San Francisco, uh, which is actually a church that's very open to New Age type ideas. Mm -hmm. And um, the labyrinth has um, that's kind of a murky history. I mean, if you really go back into ancient, they found carvings these carvings on rocks and things of labyrinths, but 
the archaeologists and the historians, et cetera, don't know what they were used for and they don't know what they mean. So we just we just know that we've seen those patterns carved on these rocks and things, but nobody knows what they were used for. They if they had some kind of secret meaning or you know who knows. Nobody knows. But then what we do know is in the Middle Ages there were labyrinths, um, and this was when um, people tried to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem, uh, Christians. Or you know, part they were actually in the Catholic Church, and they were supposedly uh, you would get this merit uh, for going to Jerusalem. Um, but then, when they had the Crusade Wars going on, people couldn't travel to Jerusalem, so they had a labyrinth drawn up in the cathedral, and you could walk the labyrinth, and that represented a journey to Jerusalem. Hmm. So. That was how they were used then, and of course then it kind of, it, it faded out, you know, they, people just more or less stopped doing it. I guess it was a temporary kind of thing that went on for a while. And then this woman revived it um, around 1999 or 2000, and they started doing it at this church, and other churches and other people became interested in it, and it just started gradually Spreading and, and people made portable labyrinths where, you know, they'd have it drawn out on a huge, huge cloth that was folded up that you could take it to places. So you could take it somewhere and lay it out outside on the ground or you could lay it inside a big space indoors somewhere. And then people could walk on that cloth. They would walk the path on the labyrinth. And the idea is this sort of it's kind of related to meditation that as you walk it, you're meditating or you're maybe praying or you're talking to God or you're listening to God or, you know, people have different ways of using it. But a lot of um, New Agers and a lot of non-Christians really got into labyrinth first. Um, you know, a lot of uh, churches like Unitarian churches, which are not Christian churches. Right. Um got into the labyrinth, and then a lot of New Age type places did labyrinths. And so um, the whole idea, people felt this was like a spiritual thing. It represented a spiritual journey of going, some people felt it was like a journey of going to the inner self. <clears throat> so walking to the middle of the labyrinth became like a journey of going to the inner self. And so it was used in this very New Age kind of way. And then the the Christians who used it tried to make it into a Christian thing where you would walk and pray and listen for God. And, and, or, and some people used it in a psychological way. So they had the psychological meaning into it. Um, now, I have an article on the labyrinth on my website. And um, my issue with it, as, as far as Christians using it, is that it makes it a, a separate way of you know, talking to God apart from, you, you can pray anywhere. That's the wonderful thing about, you know, <laughs> knowing God through Christ is that you can pray in your car, you can pray in the shower, and you can pray at work, you can pray in the grocery store. So if you try to make something elaborate out of it, like this labyrinth, here again it becomes this experience. And we're very much creatures who often seek experiences special experiences that are, of course, pleasant. And and we sometimes want a spiritual experience. 
so when you do the labyrinth, it's like inducing an, a, an a spiritual experience that you may feel good about. You may feel peaceful. You may feel like you're close to God, etc. Well, then you're. It's art, but it's very artificial because you don't need to do a labyrinth to be close to God. You don't. You don't need to do a labyrinth to be peaceful. And it becomes. What happens is it becomes a substitute. It becomes a substitute for. You know, the time you could spend reading God's Word or just doing regular prayer, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I don't want to say that it's a horrible thing for someone to do, but I just think that it it, begins, it can take the place of your normal relationship with the Lord, and especially if you have some kind of experience when you do it that seems supernatural. You're going to want to do that more than you're going to want to read the Bible and pray. So I see it as an impediment, um, and I just see a danger in those ways, and I go into it more in my my article. Yeah, yeah, and I guess these labyrinths, they're just popping up everywhere. I know that uh, there's even a website, Labyrinth Finder, uh, or something like that, and yeah. I found that I found that website, and I did a search of uh, the city that I live in, and also another s- couple surrounding cities, and they're everywhere. Some of them are in parks, some of them at churches. Um, yeah. it, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, and I know that um, you know a lot of these people that walk these labyrinths, they will, uh, you know, they'll do their mantras and and meditate basically as they walk through. When they get to the center they uh believe that they're communing with God and they'll mm-hmm. they'll come back with all kinds of ideas that supposedly God had told them this or that uh and it and it leads to some pretty wild ideas that oftentimes contradict the scriptures so um right. yeah it's it's right. it's dangerous it, it's dangerous in many ways mm-hmm. um well gosh you, you know we've already gone an hour and I have so many, just in the things we've talked about today, all these other questions popped in my head, and I realized there's just no time. Um, is Would you be open to doing this again next week? Oh, oh, sure. I absolutely, uh, absolutely would like to do it, yes. And, um, you know, because, yes, there's definitely more to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> there is. My mind is exploding uh, with with all that I want to talk about. Um, well, before you go then, tell me about your book. You have a book, Spellbound, The Paranormal, Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. Um, tell me about that book. That looks awesome. Okay, sure. Um, I was actually asked uh, by the publisher, uh, by um, an editor of the publisher's, to write the book. I was just contacted out of the blue. I was very surprised because I had never <laughs> written a book. Um, but what they wanted was a book about the occult for parents. And um, where do we see concepts of the of the occult and the culture, um, especially in marketing and entertainment. And so I wrote a book. Uh, for the first part of it is really explaining what is the occult. And I use um, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, which is really a list of practices um, that are what we call the occult. And all of those practices still exist. They take various forms over time. So some things that were done at the time the Bible was written 
you know, those aren't done anymore, but the things, um, there are other things that are done that are still the same. They're still based on the same idea. Of course, some things are the same, like astrology was, although it was practiced differently than it existed then, and casting spells, ascension, um, sorcery, trying to contact the dead. Those are all things that have never gone away. So I explain I go through that passage, explain the, the words and the terms, and then I talk about, I have it divided up into different areas. You know, so I have a chapter on astrology, I have a chapter on the Ouija board, I have two chapters on on communicating with spirits, <laughs> and I have two chapters on magic, which is, I'm talking about occult magic or sorcery, and where those seen in the culture and the way the concepts are marketed. And I also have, um, at the end of each chapter, how you can talk to your child about that particular topic, giving some examples, you know, so probably mainly a child maybe from ages 7 to uh, 14 or so, probably optimal ages for that, for what, that kind of uh, advice. And then I end the book with chapters on how to respond to this and how to respond to objections. Um, so really, even though it's written primarily for parents, actually, you know, of course, um, Sunday school teachers or pastors or youth pastors or grandparents, <laughs> um, you know, and, and older teens actually could read it. I know some older teens in my church read it with their parents' permission. And um, so the whole basic idea of it is to explain what the occult is and where we see it in our culture. And it's on um, Kindle. Uh, if you buy it, if you buy the hard copy, you have to buy it from sellers on Amazon. Um, is the best way I know to get it. You can get it. They have There are some new, and then there's a number of used copies. But you can get it on Kindle, too. A lot of people, you know, have Kindle apps or they have a hardwire Kindle. So uh, it's it's out there, it's available, and I think it's still current because it's basically um, an explanation of the occult, and, and Dr. Norman Geisler wrote the foreword. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I mean, th- there's so many things that are going on right now as far as our media is concerned, all the movies coming out that are uh, very seductive in, in pulling our kids away. Uh, you know, of course, everybody can think of Harry Potter, but you know now they've got this new movie that just came out, I, uh, Fantastic Beasts or something like that, um, which is another one of the J.K. Rowling movies. There's so many movies now that um, are luring people into various occult practices, and and you know this is walking on semi sacred ground for me, but. <laughs> Uh, even like some of the the Marvel and DC superhero movies will bring in so many. Um, well, you know, everybody has that secret desire to have some kind of power that is uh, that gives them an edge in life. You know exactly. what I mean? And, yeah. And, yeah. and all these superhero movies play on that same idea, whether they're pushing the evolution of man and somehow that you know certain people are born with special powers or gosh there's even uh, a marvel movie coming out called doctor strange where uh as far as i i know he's some kind of uh, uh warlock and yes he has- he is. he's a yes he's a sorcerer 
and he's using sorcery. I mean, I somebody alerted me to that because I didn't, I wasn't familiar with that character, and so I started, you know, investigating it and looking it up, and was reading the description of the movie, and then I went and re- read more about the character and who he is, and I was somewhat astonished that he's really this kind of dark figure. Um, oh yeah, using, and using sorcery, and yet he's the hero. You know, and this is the kind of thing I write about in Spellbound, how the culture has taken um, people who do certain things that used to be perceived as evil um, are now being promoted in entertainment and in books, et cetera, as as good things. So yeah. That's a very good example of it. Mm. Yeah, and the Bible says, Woe unto them who call good evil and evil good and exchange bitter for sweet right. and sweet for bitter. And that's what's happening in our culture just across the board yeah. right now. Um, you know, if there's anybody listening today who doesn't understand what Jesus did, what this all this Christian stuff is about, it, it really comes down to this. We we have all broken God's laws. We have we've done things that offend him. We all have told lies. We have all stolen things. We've all done things that are highly offensive to God. And he created this world. And if we get what we deserve, we should be judged for these things. He is an infinite God. He is all holy. And we have done these things against him. We deserve his judgment. Okay. But it's as if we're standing before the throne or rather before the judge's uh, podium, if you will, and the judge pronounces us guilty. And then rather than sending us off to jail or, or executing us, he comes down and he removes his robe and he gets cuffed in our place and taken off. That's what Jesus did. He came down. He took our punishment for us uh, that we might be forgiven, that we might have those stupid things that we've done against our Lord, against our God, uh, taken away from us, that we would be innocent, we would be blameless before him. And and us Christians, as we trust in Christ, that is what happens. And that's what it means to be saved. That's why us Christians are always up in your business <laughs> trying to share our faith with you, because we're so excited about what Christ did for us. And, and uh, unless you trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you won't be saved. You won't have those sins taken away. And so that that's the gospel. We love God and we try so hard to do the right thing, not to be saved, not so that we can go to heaven, but because Christ already purchased our way. Uh, it's, it's so amazing. That's the good news. That's what all of us Christians talk about when we, we talk about the gospel. It's that Christ died in our place, a horrific death taking the penalty that you and I deserve upon himself that we would be blameless is amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So, um, well, Marsha, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, again, friends, her show, uh, I'm sorry, her website is christiananswersforthenewage.org. There is a wealth of information on there, uh, so many good articles that are going to help you out in understanding what's going on with this New Age movement and, and also how you can communicate uh, with those who are part of this movement um, 
also, it is a place where you can get a hold of Marsha, uh, as well as I would imagine you could probably stalk her down on Facebook, too, if you tried to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, very approachable, and she, she does want to help you out. So, um, yeah. So, Marsha, yeah, I'll, I will, uh, once we hit the stop button here, I'll, we'll, we'll work out something, and we can have you again next week and hit some more of these subjects. Okay, that sounds terrific. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. The honor is all mine. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Uh, as you can see, we kind of opened Pandora's box here. There's so much to talk about, and we barely touched the surface. So uh, next week, we'll have Marsha back on. I have so many more questions, so many more things that I want to get into, uh, as, as you guys probably do as well. Um, so... Yeah, we'll stop right here, and we'll pick this up again next week. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.